The purchase of Duke in Media by trusted media brands brings new media favourite Fail Army and old media perennial Reader's Digest under one roof. We talk with the CEO of Trusted Media Brands about the deal. Hey, Will. Yep. The turtle is crossing the road when he's beaten up by two snails. When the police show up, they ask him what happened. The turtle replies, I don't know. It all happened so fast. (laughs) <laughs> that's a good one and that was colin dixon from end screen media doing his best impersonation of a stand-up comedian <laughs> well y- yes indeed and uh, welcome everybody to inside the stream i told that joke because it comes from the reader's digest and the reader's digest is owned by trusted media brands and we are really happy to have the ceo of trusted media brands today to talk about the purchase of Juke Media and what that means to the company. But uh, but before we get there, Will, I think we're probably going to do our news roundup. We are going to do our, our news roundup. And as you said, we're really, really pleased to have Bonnie Kinzer, this president and CEO of Trusted Media Brands, join us uh, for about a 25-minute Q&A. So we'll get going with that in just a minute. But as you said, let's get started with a couple of news items. And I'm going to lead us off. Colin, I was really impressed with what I think might be looked back upon as a pivotal moment in the evolution of streaming and TV with the results of this past Sunday night's Emmy Emmy Awards in which Netflix won 44, a total of 44 awards, the first time that a streaming service has led all comers in terms of number of Emmy wins. But beyond that, Netflix's 44 is actually more than the next three networks combined. HBO with 19, Disney Plus with 14, Apple TV Plus with 10. That totals up to 43 compared to Netflix's 44. And obviously we've been talking for a long, long time on this podcast and lots of other people have as well throughout the industry about Netflix's just massive investments that they've made in original content. And everybody wants acknowledgement of their fine work, (laughs) whether you're a solo contributor like we are, or you're Netflix spending $15 billion a year, or who knows what they're up to now in terms of original content. And I have to say, uh, Netflix got a lot of recognition for its years of effort in developing original content with those 44 wins. And as I said also, I think it really is a turning point in terms of thinking about the uh, streaming industry and also thinking about the role of TV networks. So, um, and I'll say that I really enjoyed those two shows on Netflix that garnered the most recognition, The Crown and uh, The Queen's Gambit. I thought both of those were really excellent shows with really excellent performances. So uh, anyway, that was on my radar big time, Colin. What do you think? Yeah, I totally agree with you, Will. Pivotal moment, I think it really emphasizes what Ted Sarandis has said a couple of times on the earnings calls, and that is if you aren't streaming, you are not in the zeitgeist. And in particular, you better have Netflix if you want to see some of the top shows. So 
uh, it really does emphasize that a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I too enjoyed, uh, I certainly, I loved Queen's Gambit, thought it was really excellent and uh, continue to find plenty to watch that I enjoy on Netflix. So Great. And Colin, what was on your radar this week? Well, there was a couple of announcements, Will, that really caught my eye that just emphasized that the streaming platform wars are alive and well and kicking because we had two introductions in the last week or so of new streaming sticks from Fire TV and from Roku. Uh, Fire TV introduced the 4K Max for 55 bucks. Uh, This, it says, gives a 40% performance improvement over its predecessor. It adds support for Wi-Fi 6, which you probably don't have a router supporting yet on Access Point supporting yet, but maybe will do in the not-too-distant future. But it also adds 4K Ultra HD, HDR, HDR10, Dolby Vision, Dolby Atmos. So really, you can get a great quality through that streaming stick. And Roku, not wishing to be outdone, introduced its uh, streaming stick. It's streaming stick 4K, I should say, for $50. i got to say, it's pretty similar to the Fire TV 4K Max announcement with the exception that it doesn't support Wi-Fi 6. Um, And you can also get uh, the streaming stick 4K Plus, which adds the Roku Voice Remote Pro with hands-free operation, rechargeable battery, and lost remote finder. uh, And that bumps the price up a little bit to 70 bucks. Uh, And the standard Roku... uh, Roku device also does come with a voice remote, just not that fancy voice remote pro. So uh, this really shows at will that we are still in the midst of the streaming wars and that uh, the platform streaming platform wars and that smart TVs and de- devices are continuing to seek to one up each other. Well, yeah, I agree with all that, Colin, and I would even go one step further because our listeners will recall that we just had Alan Woke on the podcast, and we had a pretty vigorous discussion with Alan as to what the ongoing role or non-ongoing role of sticks and boxes is going to be in the industry versus smart TVs, and I think we had maybe a bit of a, you know, I don't wouldn't call it a disagreement, I think it's more just about what the timing is going to be with respect to this role that sticks are going to play in the industry, whether they're going to fade or fade quickly. And I think you and I were kind of aligned on that topic in believing that sticks are still going to, and boxes are still going to play a pretty significant role in the industry for a long, long time to come. And my interpretation of these announcements that you just mentioned, Fire TV and Roku, is that these two companies, which of course together have, I don't know, at least 70% market share in total, are still pretty darn committed to the stick and box market. And, um, you know, much as smart TVs continue to surge, it seemed like more evidence that sticks are going to firmly have a role in the industry going forward. Yeah, I totally agree. That that was one of my uh, conclusions when I wrote about this, Will. It's, you know, that, that, that improvement in performance has a direct bearing on the improvement of the experience. Uh, And you can do that so efficiently with a stick. It's so expensive to do that with a television. You have to basically buy a new TV. uh, And you really have to spend significantly more on a television to get really, really good performance. So, you know, uh, I don't see them going away anytime soon at all either. Yeah, it is pretty amazing that 
as you just detailed with the specs there, to get that kind of performance in such a small form factor for such little yeah. money just shows how far this industry has come. And, and to your point, you know, for the average consumer, are they going to spend $50? Or are they going to spend 10 times that amount or more, yeah. 15 times, 20 times that amount to get that performance in a new HDTV, you know, uh, HDTV? Uh, yeah. I just think that's a tough sell for a lot of people. That's just reality yeah. of today's, you know, life. Totally agree. Totally agree. But, uh, you know, but perhaps that's enough for the news. I think it's probably time for us to get to our interview. And as we mentioned, uh, we are very pleased to have as our guest this week, Bonnie Kintzer, who is the president and CEO of Trusted Media Brands. And of course, Trusted Media Brands, not that long ago, just within the past month or so, acquired Juken Media. So we're really happy to have Bonnie on the podcast with us this week to tell us a little more about Trusted Media Brands and the strategy behind the Juken acquisition. So Bonnie, welcome. Thank you, Will. Happy to be here. Great, and happy to have you. So maybe we could just get started again at the 50,000-foot level. Um, you guys obviously just acquired this company, Jukin, but before we get to that, maybe you could just tell our listeners more about Trusted Media. It's a company with a very storied um, past, a very storied history, uh, but some folks may not be fully familiar with both the history and what you're doing now. So please tell us more. Sure. Uh, so Trusted Media Brands is a portfolio of brands, uh, and we've been around for almost 100 years. And uh, our largest brand is actually Taste of Home, uh, which is a UGC food brand, one of the largest food websites out there, as well as magazines and books. Uh, Family Handyman, the largest DIY uh, brand in the country. And of course, the brand that everybody knows and loves, which is Reader's Digest. Uh, we have other um, smaller brands that in their own right are, are large and beloved, and that includes Birds and Blooms and Reminisce and uh, Farm and Ranch Living and Country and Country Woman. Uh, what makes us distinct is uh, that two-thirds of our revenue comes directly from consumers, so we have a very deep one-to-one -one consumer relationship. Uh, and, of course, over the last seven years that, that I've been at the helm, our focus has been uh, largely on digital growth. And so even though two-thirds of our revenue is coming from consumer, we actually have half of our profits coming from our digital businesses. Um, and we've also launched in the last couple of years businesses like a Taste of Home subscription box and DIY University and digitizing all of the Family Handyman project plans. So we definitely love our content and consumers are willing to pay for it in, in many different forms. So before we, before we leave those brands, Bonnie, can you tell us a little bit about the digital video strategy for those brands? So our digital video strategy has largely been related to content that we are um, producing in, in any form. So for instance, uh, Family Handyman just did a, a big getaway project, which was to build a second home. And so as we created that project, there was video and there was words and there was photos. And so we try to really think about the story first, same as you can imagine for Taste of Home. So if we're creating uh, we're testing a recipe because our recipes come from users. So we're testing that recipe. We are photographing that recipe. We are doing video, hands and pans, as they're affectionately called. Uh, and so it's really part and parcel of the content that we would be creating in, in every form. 
why don't we get on to Duke in Media? Tell us, tell us about the, how the deal happened, how it came together, and how Duke in fits in with the company. Uh, well, so it's such an incredibly exciting milestone for a company like ours, and especially to have closed a deal and negotiated a deal during COVID. Um, but I would say over the last few years, it became very clear to us that we needed to be bigger, um, which means that you can be bought or, or you can be the acquisitor and much better to be the acquisitor. And so um, with the support of our board and our investors, we began talking to you know, many different companies uh, in, in different areas, all, all digital, definitely a preference for video, but not, not only looking at video. Uh, and we were introduced to Jukin uh, in January and to John uh, and, or, or, and Leah over the phone. And we immediately had an incredible connection. Uh, and I thought, that's that's kind of amazing to have that on video. Um, but, but it really was like that. And I think there was just a tremendous amount of sharing. And what you really see in this is two very complementary companies. And in fact, we have almost nothing in common from the outside. But that's really not true. We're both very community-driven companies. Um, you know, if you are a taste of home, you know, whether you're an audience online or a subscriber to our magazine or a reader of a book, you are part of that taste of home community. And Reader's Digest, you know, Reader's Digest readers, no matter who you meet along the way, there's a commonality, there's a connection. And there you have that same exact feeling so powerful uh, in Fail Army and the Pet Collective. And so that really binds us together. We're customer and community-driven companies. We also have a deep love and appreciation for UGC. Taste of Home is 100% UGC brand. All of our recipes coming from our community. Uh, Taste uh, Reader's Digest jokes, our beloved jokes, right? Best best G-rated jokes in the world, uh, all coming from our audience. Uh, the most popular section of Family Handyman is Handy Hints, where people tell us clever things that, that they do um, with items around the house. Uh, and so we have a reverence for UGC. And of course, Jukin is so very committed to UGC, and it really keeps uh, the Jukin properties very on on point of what's happening in the homes of people because it's the video is coming from from them. So we really explored the commonality and the complementary areas, and I think we all just believe that something really magical could happen here. Um, that we could take each other's strengths and apply it to each other's brands, um, and, and really really create the media company of, of the future. So Bonnie, let's um, let's maybe drill down just a little bit more on the Juke and acquisition and where you see the dare I use the word synergies going forward, because that's an overused and can be a loaded term. But, um, you know, I think we've had actually John on the podcast in the past, and I think Paul and I both know John pretty well in Jukin. And, you know, we look at their properties like Fail Army and Pet Collective, people are awesome, et cetera, and get the distinct impression that their audience skews to the younger side. So I guess the first question is, you know, we'd love to learn a little more about how you see the sort of audiences complementing one another, maybe your traditional audiences and their traditional audiences. Um, that's the first question. And, um, you know, to the extent that they're additive to one another, what comes out of that? What are the big, what are the big benefits to your existing brands? And what do you think the benefits of bringing uh, TMB's brands and skills to Jukin's business are? 
So you'd probably be surprised to know that a third of our digital audience are millennials, right? So our content really plays very well um, with with that generation. And of course, many of our brands, if not all of our brands, really reach across generations. So I was at the University of Mississippi a couple of years ago before COVID and at an event where people were giving out probably 100 different titles. And uh, I'd gotten there on day two and almost all of the taste of home was gone. And that is because those university students in the South, they grew up with taste of home and, and it, it connects to them. And of course, you know, Reader's Digest is, you know, multi, tri multi generational, uh, in that people just keep that brand through, through their families for forever and, um, really have a deep connection. So we, we think that we have the overlapping of the millennials and, um, we, of course, have very strong 35 plus of trusted media brands. What you can have is, is more millennials and obviously Gen Z. And that's super interesting to us as Gen Z ages, you know, a little bit up to a point where they, too, want to cook uh, and they, too, want to garden and they, too, want to take control of, you know, what's happening in their homes. Uh, and so we think that there's a great opportunity on both sides to extend the brands to uh, even more generations on, on, on both both sides. So tell us about uh, you're obviously you're very focused on first party data. Um, how do you plan to use it with Jukin Media Properties? So, so why don't we start there? Yeah, no, it's a fantastic question. And we've been talking about that, right, because when you're working primarily with third-party platforms, you are limited in the data. But when you're as huge as Jugin, and so when you have 240 million uh, people that you're watching uh, across social and um, and platforms, you do see the market move, right? And so while we don't have the individual data on the Jugin brands, we do have mass data. Uh, and so that that is very valuable, and we're taking a look at exactly how to how to make that more valuable for our partners. We also are going to relaunch the Jukin website. So if you think about Jukin's brilliant history, they launched first really on social and then moved to OTT. And so their owned and operated websites never became a very big focus. Uh, at TMB, we are very, very strong. And if you look at the growth that we've had on our owned and operated websites, you, you see that we've been able to really scale that up. And so we believe that as we relaunch the Pet Collective and Fail Army, and this is happening and people are awesome and poke my heart, that that will then give us the opportunity to, to collect that first party data and, and again, provide more value for our partners. So, so that's a huge challenge, right? Getting people to transition from a social platform onto an owned and operated. Talk about how, you, how you're going to address that, how you're going to attack that and transition them. So I wouldn't call it a transition. I would call it an extension because we really appreciate the fact that you can have such an enormous social platform. But at Trusted Media Brands, I... I, I, I may be off by a few points, but we get about 20% of our traffic from social. So we know how to drive from social to the web. The issue is going to be, you know, how do you make it an extension and not, um, and not take one off, off the other? And I think that we'll do a lot of testing and we're a testing company and you know, that's in our DNA. That's part of our history, very disciplined, very test, test oriented. And in fact, We'll actually be learning off of the trusted media brands before we would we would be testing it on on a fail army, for instance. So when one of the things we're looking at right now is uh, Jukin has a seventy thousand quick 
clip video library, if we start using some of those clips on Reader's Digest and Taste of Home and Family Handyman social platforms, what does the audience do? So we'll start testing and learning there and and also, you know, the monetization difference, the money that can be made on Facebook if they stay and the money that could be made on, in an owned and operated environment. So we have a lot to learn and, and we'll pick a brand at a time and we'll learn and then we'll try it out at another brand until we have really a hypothesis so that we don't hurt anybody's business model. Um, and, and I think that will be an interesting thing to watch for, for all of us as to when it works and, and when it's you know not as valuable. Right. Bonnie, I'd like to just continue on this idea of how um, of the quote extension, as you say, and ask you a little bit more about, excuse me, the role that you see for um, affiliate commerce or the ability to use what you can brings to uh, TMB to help drive um, commerce. That's a area that I think you know we're all very familiar with. A lot of media, uh, traditional media, and even newer media companies have recognized the potential that to go beyond the idea of just you know selling ads and even subscriptions, that they can actually drive commerce. And you know we see that model I think most pronounced in something like Wirecutter that uh, uh, the New York Times owns. So. Maybe you could tell us a little more about how you see commerce fitting in and what Jukin helps to, uh, TMB to do to accomplish greater commerce uh, objectives. So trusted media uh, moved into commerce a couple of years ago. And in fact, in our fiscal year that just ended June 30th, I believe we were up 70% year over year in commerce. So we're very familiar with it. And it's definitely part of the way we create our content. Um, if you look at a brand like Family Handyman, which is just so unique and not easy to find out, you know, the best tool or the best snowblower, unless you're going to a retailer, which is not always comfortable for the consumer. Um, that is our, our lead brand currently on the commerce side. Um, I do expect that when we launch the Pet Collective website, that the commerce opportunity will be extraordinary yeah. um, because with a brand like Pet Collective, you have just such mass and, you know, we love Pet Collective for a million reasons, but one of it is that all of the trusted media brands audiences are pet lovers. Um, I mean, that's the thing about pets. It, everybody has them uh, even before, <laughs> before that, before COVID. And of course, of course now. And so, um, one way we'll address, and I should have mentioned this earlier about the data um, perspective, like Jukin doesn't have any newsletters. Well, we have really successful newsletters. So launching um, the Pet Collective newsletter to Taste of Home and Reader's Digest and, and Family Handyman audiences, because we have so many millions of, of emails, is just an, a great way to get started. So that would be a new O&O uh, audience that wouldn't even be coming from social. So again, we will measure to see where that audience gets built from. But I think the commerce opportunity uh, for the Jukin brands will will be will be great. And but we do need to create more content, and and we'll need to be testing some different social commerce tools as well. Can I just ask you a follow up question on that, Bonnie? And I know it's a hard one, and I don't mean to press too hard here, but. Um, I am curious, you know, as you guys think about the strategy and you put together the business case for acquiring Juke and, and you talk about the you know variety of opportunities which you have in terms of what you know the new value creation is for having the companies come together. Can you approximate in any way or share with our listeners like give or take what percentage of that new value creation or new revenue creation 
might be ascribed to commerce specifically that may be driven out of, I'm most interested in video, but also maybe just as a larger play, commerce opportunities from new digital contents that's created. Is it like 10%, 40%, 80%? I mean, what role does commerce play is what I guess I'm trying to put my finger on. Right. Um, well, I think right now in the combined company, it would be less than 5%. And I think it could be one of our fastest growing lines. So, you know, do I think it could end up being 20%? In large part, it depends how many OTT channels we launch. You know, I mean, I, I look at this as, you know, the opportunities are, are so many. And so if everything rises, you know, then then each piece may not be as big. It, it, we're going to really try to focus on building out um, as many revenue streams for each brand, right? So if we have a social channel, which makes money, we have OTT channels, which make money, we have owned and operated, which make money. We have licensing, which makes money. And we have commerce, which makes money. We will really have um, such a strong multi-legged stool, more than a stool, it will be a bench. Uh, and <laughs> that is really exciting. And that these brands are so rich and so broad in, in their ability to drive revenue. And again, it goes back to, wow, you know, the success of trusted media brands and the success of Jukin coming together, building on the backs of brands that are already strong. Uh, and so our biggest problem is going to be what to do first. And that is what we've spent our time on in these first five weeks is the prioritization. Because I always say, you know, do a few things excellent and not a lot of things mediocre. And um, that, that has really been our focus on how to prioritize. One of the things about Jukin is that they have been so successful in fast services like Pluto TV and Zumo and, and Samsung, Samsung TV Plus. Is there something there for you to learn from, from Jukin uh, with, the, with the other brands? Because I'm not sure if you've launched fast channels with your, with your other brands, but is this an area where you, know, you could sort of learn from what Jukin's done? It's our top priority, Colin. <laughs> so it's really the Jukin team is so talented and I cannot wait to see what they come up with as their recommendations. Uh, they're focusing first on the three big brands, Family Animation, Taste of Home and Reader's Digest. Um, and to really come up with like, what is that? What does it look like? Right. You know, what does it look like on OTT? Uh, and to talk to the, to the Plutos and the Rokus and, you know, like what is it that people really want to see? Uh, we have such distinct brands and, you know, one of the things that one of the, I talked talk to one of the platforms and they want brands that have no ability so that when their customers are sort of trying to decide which channel they should click on, uh, and that's really good for us because our brands are very known. Yeah. And uh, when you think about the size of, of you know, Taste of Home that'll you know, online alone will reach 40 million over the holidays, you know, that's, that's a lot of people to say, hey, by the way, you can watch us, you know, on Pluto, on Roku, on, you know, wherever you are, we're going to be there. And so I think that we'll make very good partners for the platforms when, when, when we're ready, you know, so we, we have to, we have to do the work first. 
Um, but I think that the Jukin team will be amazing um, teachers and leaders uh, in this, and, and 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 I think it's a tremendous growth opportunity for that team. And Bonnie, just to expand on that maybe a little bit, Colin was asking you, I think, specifically about FAST, whether it's you know Pluto or uh, the other services. If we could just broaden the conversation a little bit to talk about connected TV in general. So connected TV, as I'm sure you know, are now in over 80% of U.S. homes. Some homes have multiple CTVs, maybe certainly Collins and mine, maybe yours as well. Um, and uh, there was actually an interesting stat I saw the other day that 60, more than 60% of all uh, ads that are seen in streaming video or OTT are now seen through connected TVs. So. This has obviously become a really important part of the overall media landscape, and you know I would argue that every media company, no matter how big or small, general interest or niche, American or international, you name it, has now basically declared that CTV and streaming video are the most important priorities for them. So, I'd love to just maybe ask you to talk a little bit more, a little bit more broadly than you did just with Colin's question. Talk a little bit more about what CTV specifically means to um, trusted media brands and how you see Jukin's properties evolving to fully capitalize on this really significant opportunity in CTV? Well, I think that Jukin is already obviously very part of the CTV uh, ecosystem and that, you know, will we'll continue to grow with, um, with more distribution and more partnerships. And I expect them to really lead the way with the trusted media brands uh, opportunities. I mean, we are not going to put, you know, family handyman on fail army, right? We're, we're going to create our own um, channels and, and partnerships. And we, we will follow, you know, as I always say, it's like if you can thought that they should have a pet collective magazine, we, we wouldn't tell them to do it. We, we would give it to the editors at trusted media brands. Well, it will be Jukin leading the way in, in this regard and coming up with those plans. And we don't have them yet, you know, five weeks in. Um, but I guess to say that we will be following their success uh, and and their knowledge, and we are, you know, obviously CTV and the growth in CTV streaming is the basic uh, basis of the thesis for investing in this company. So um, it is one of the top two. So that is one, and the other is social, just because um, Jukin is so unbelievably strong in social that to be taking advantage of their 70,000 clip library onto the brands that we already have in social platforms is just a, a very um, quick and I think could be quite a meaningful win. So those are our two top priorities. So we're definitely, you know, if you, you think about it, right, if the strength of the brands from trusted media brands with which the with the expertise and the excellence of, of Jukin. And uh, ultimately, we'll turn that around and we'll take the experience and the expertise of trusted media brands in O&O into the Jukin brands. But again, first things first and where we see the biggest opportunity is definitely in, in streaming and, and in social. Yeah, it seems like now is, uh, you know, when I saw the deal, uh, when I saw the, the Jukin deal, the first thought that rang through my mind was the, you know, this this is actually a perfect time for trusted media brands, traditional brands, to really start to embrace uh, digital delivery um, and, and digital video. Because 
Older Americans are finally making the transition. Well, not finally. They're, they're really beginning to make the transition in significant numbers now and spending significant amounts of time with with connect, particularly with connected TV. So, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited for the opportunities. Does this mean we're going to see a Reader's Digest channel on Pluto TV pretty soon or a family handyman? Man, there's the, there were two channels I'd definitely check out. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think so. I, it's so funny for me because the, the, the team at Jukin is younger and they love Reader's Digest. And uh, I just just tickles me. I mean, Reader's Diary is going to be 100 years old in February. And you know what? What's old again is new. And I think that's really amazing. And let me just give you this one kernel, right? When DeWitt Wallace launched the Reader's Digest, he was curating the best of the best. Well, we will do that on video now. So, you know, again, it, it's a curation. And that's what Reader's Digest was built upon, was built upon curation. And if you think about the Jukin Library and with the Jukin Content Acquisition Team, which is one of the most incredible uh, groups of people I've, I've ever met, you know, it's, it's curation. And so you put the Reader's Digest film on that curation. I think that's pretty unbelievable. Um, and, and I'd like to think that, you know, DeWitt Wallace would, would nod, you know, approvingly and saying, yeah, it's, you know, it's 2021, it's 2022, I'm a hundred years old. And, and, and this is the way people, uh, consume, consume media and the way they get entertained and, and educated. Um, and I think family handyman, look, this is a country of people that want to be able to be more self-sufficient whether it's because of financial reasons or pride or because they have a talent. And I think Family Handyman has the ability to um, really, you know, make, again, educate and entertain. Uh, And I I think, um, I think streaming video is going to be very exciting for them. So uh, yes, watch and see. (laughs) That's great, Bonnie. Uh, The more things change, the more they stay the same, I guess might be one, uh, Yes. Take away from what you just said. The technology, the delivery may change, but the human instinct and the role that publishers can play. We only have a couple minutes left, uh, Bonnie, but I'd like to maybe just zoom out a little bit and ask you to tell us a little bit more about, I mean, you've obviously already explained what you think, what you believe the two theses are, theses are uh, related to the acquisition, um, CTV and social. Uh, I'd like to just ask you a little bit about what you see when you look across the entire landscape, whether it be in CTV or digital broadly, or even media more broadly than that, what are kind of two of the three big trends that you're keeping an eye on that you think everybody should be keeping an eye on and they're helping guide the company? I think data will continue to be obviously very critical, but of course the other side of that coin is data privacy. <laughs> so really balancing the appropriate use of data to run your business and being mindful of what consumers want and expect from brands. So I think, you know, we spend a lot of time, we had a really good conversation yesterday about, you know, iOS and the changes that Apple have made and how that affects our business. Um, And I I think, you know, I, I always marvel at when people talk about being more customer focused, right? Because we were born on a customer focus. And I feel like for media companies that that really is, is, 
the only thing that matters in, in certain regard, because I think thinking about that consumer and what they really would be delighted to hear and buy from you. And I love the word delight, because I think if someone said, oh, Taste of Home just came out with their own air fryer, our consumers would be delighted to know that because they would know that our editors actually cook in the kitchen and would be really creating something that worked for them. And so, you know, Pet Collective comes out with a line of, you know, really cool collars. Like I believe the Pet Collective audience would be delighted to hear about that. So it's really that connectivity with the audience, with the community, and it goes back to data, but it also goes back to really being good listeners and stewards of your brands. And I don't think you get to be a hundred years old uh, brand if, if you're not good stewards of, of your relationships with, with your, with your consumers. So last question from me is you mentioned that you, uh, you aren't big enough. Uh, are you not done with your acquisitions? Will we see more going forward? We are not done, Colin. So you better send me your ideas. Everyone listening <laughs> to this podcast, um, yeah, no, we um, we are looking for more acquisitions. I don't think if we did one in the next few months, I think uh, my finance team might <laughs> revolt. But uh, but yes, we would like to do many more acquisitions. So we will look for uh, areas that we either need more content um, or areas um, that we think broaden us out, you know, is automotive a good place to play? Dare we say beauty? Uh, you know, so we're now putting together our sort of template of what makes the most sense so that we can focus those efforts. But we'd like to buy, you know, have more OTT channels and we'd like to have more commerce uh, and we'd like to have more brands. So that's a great thing about a company named Trusted Media Brands. Uh, you can uh, you can expand and uh, and add more 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 brands to the party. So we're excited to be on that journey. Uh, I, I in particular, am very excited to be on that journey. Well, Bonnie, you guys are not done with your acquisition strategy, but unfortunately, I think we're done and uh, out of time for this podcast today, which has really been a pleasure. We've really really appreciated you taking time out of your busy schedule to tell us more about the company, about your Jukin strategy, about what you're thinking about in the industry going forward. Uh, so for the both of us, we wish you all the best, good luck as you go forward, and we look forward to continuing the dialogue with you. Terrific, thank you both so much. Really appreciate being on the show. Yeah, thank you, Bonnie, it's been great. Thanks, Bonnie. Inside the Stream is a production of Endscreen Media and Video News, all rights reserved.